0: So we are in our Praxis series. This this series that we are in now is part of a year-long series. If you've been a part of our church for any amount of time... You know, we've actually been in a two-year focus, if you want to call it that, as you come in and you see the banners that say, tell the story and live the way. It's talking about telling the story of the gospel and living the way of Jesus. And so last year, we spent a year really just doing a deep dive into what is the gospel and the story of the gospel and helping to educate you and what the Bible has to say about the story of the Bible and how you have a part to play in it. And this year is all been about the way of Jesus that if if we're going to really tell the story of the gospel, we're going to tell that not just by sharing it verbally, but by the example that we live. By making Jesus easy to find in the 757, and so we did Doxa, the beginning of the year about core beliefs of Christianity. We did Shema, which is about the five conversions of the soul. We're in Praxis now, which is about really about this this idea of spiritual formation and the character of Christ forming in us for the work of good deeds. And then over Christmas we'll do Shalom, which is all about. Peace. Those four are talking about the way of Jesus' beliefs, the way of his character, the way of his obedience, the way of his peace. It's the language of discipleship here at City Life. And so if you're new or if you're newer, then this helps put into context why this series is important to us. It's part of our discipleship language. This is the phrase that we've been working off of here each week: is that you and I must decide what we believe is waiting for us after we die. Because what we believe about that day should ultimately determine how we live out our lives between now and then. We understand, each of us, we're on a timeline. Life started for us, but at some point, life is going to end. What you believe is going to happen after it ends for you should be instructive for what we're doing between now and that moment. Matthew 16, 24 to 27 has kind of been our anchor text and has been for years as we talk about the character of Christ. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul. right? Jesus is saying many things there, but one of the things that he's saying is that if, if you gain the benefit of everything that this, this temporal experience has to offer you, but, but you chase that instead of chasing the character of Christ, then we're going to live a life that we would say is less. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Is anything worth more? then your soul. For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father. And listen to what it says. will judge all people according to their deeds. And that word in the Greek is praxis, which gives us this series. Praxis doesn't just mean good deeds. It means good deeds that come from good people. And we know the only way that we can be good people is if we are living out the character of Christ. Paul echoes these sentiments in Romans 2, 5 through 11. It's important for us as a church because so many of us that have kind of grown up in the Christian faith, we've, maybe we bought into this idea that if we're a devoted follower of Christ that we're not going to experience a judgment because of salvation by grace. Now we believe in salvation by grace. We, we believe that you cannot earn your way into heaven. The Bible is clear on that, but, it, but the Bible is also clear that even those of us that are born into the family of God in heaven is promised to us that there's going to be a judgment that we face that God's going to have a conversation with us about what did we do with the life that Jesus paid such a great price for us to have. It says we're going to be judged according to our deeds, the things that we did. The Bible's ambiguous about rewards and consequences. Can I tell you, I'm glad that it's ambiguous about rewards and consequences because I think Jesus wants our motivation for doing good deeds is because it's good to live your life that way. He wants us to know that we're going to have to give an account for it, but he doesn't want us to be motivated by rewards and consequences. He wants to be motivated because doing godly and good deeds is the best way that we can live. For too many people, churches have become places where people want someone to tell them all the right things to do and all the, the, thing, the wrong things not to do, right? Just give me a list, Fred. Tell, tell me what I should and shouldn't do. i found over 20 years, we've been sharing this each week, a pastoral ministry that if we teach people how to be virtuous, everything else tends to follow. If we teach people how to be virtuous, most everything else tends to follow. So here are the next two statements. So we've been boiling it down each week into a principle, kind of distilling it. And this is what we started with. As we go from this verse, we go to here, this statement. The more I become like Christ in virtue... The more I become like him in deeds, meaning that deeds flow from who I am. We can give you the list of all the things you're supposed to do, but what if, what if, which I think is the Bible's focus, is to teach us who we're supposed to be, then all the deeds that we're supposed to do are going to necessarily follow. And then we distill that down, just catching you up if you're new, to this a virtuous heart produces godly deeds, a virtuous heart produces godly deeds, and then we've been working through this list. Again, I'm going to throw it up here for you again. This is our version of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Right? You just say all 24 of these things right in a row, and what you have is a picture of the character of Christ. Right? These come from the five great growth lists of the Bible, and then you take out the overlap. We end up with these 24. Authentic, content, hospitable, truthful, persevering, wise, hopeful, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, humble, grateful, merciful, honorable, principled, selfless, fervent, forgiving, believing, and self-control. All of those are defined in this little book. If you don't have one, it's free. Ask somebody in a blue shirt, and they'll give you one in the back. It lists these with scripture references and definition. This this is the portrait of the person of Christ right here. And, And so when Jesus says, follow me, Take up your cross and follow me. This is what he's talking about. He's saying, become this person and I'll help you get there. Because if we become that person, every godly deed that's been assigned to you and to me is going to be a natural outflow of our lives. Right? How, many, how many people live in a home where you have jobs or chores that are assigned to you? Anybody else? Am I the only one? Nobody else has chores in this. Yeah, thank you. I see your mic's hand up. Went up fast. Right? We, 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 have, we have lists. Vanessa gives me lists of things to do. We give our kids lists of things to do. You, you have chores. You have responsibilities in your home. If you're in a single adult, you're probably giving yourself lists of things to do. God has lists of things that he wants us to do for him. Things that he's apportioned to us. Things that he he has assigned to us. And he knows that if if he can get our heart right, then all the deeds are going to come. Godly deeds flow out of virtues. And virtues flow from pathways. You, You and I are not going to become virtuous people unless we do the hard work of spiritual disciplines in our lives. That was our big focus last week. Jeremiah 6, 16 gives us this this great verse, this great text. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said we will not walk in it, right? We have this problem that's called human nature. We want to do it our way. The the allure of the things of the world are constantly drawing us the antithesis of all of those virtues. Sometimes our human nature gravitates to them more easily than what we would prefer. You, You and I have a responsibility to do the work to create in our lives a spiritually vibrant environment so that virtues can grow, the gardening of the soul. and As those virtues grow, then the godly deeds that he has apportioned to us will come. Pathways. Scripture, prayer, fasting, worship. We defined all these last week. Gathering, reaching, relationship, accountability, and then the last list of four, service, generosity, stewardship, and rest. So that's a little bit of a recap for where we've been to catch you up, and then just, right, it's, everything builds on itself. So at the beginning of each week, we're just kind of doing a little bit of a recap and trying to help you connect the dots. The, these pathways are, are the activities of your spiritual life. This is the doing part of your Christianity when it comes to self-care. This is the doing part of Christianity when it when it comes to, when I wake up tomorrow, what should my focus be? My, my focus should be that some of these are going to be present in my day. And, and the skill that we teach you to assess whether or not these 12 are present in your life is called the red, yellow, green test. It's a simple thing. We hope That you do it and we hope that you do it every year. I do this every year. I sit down and I take a piece of paper. I make a list of those 12 pathways on a piece of paper. And and then after I make this list of 12 pathways, the next thing I do at the top of that piece of paper is I write red and yellow and green. And then I make three columns. And and then I sit down and and I have an honest assessment of my life. I, I put an X... In the column next to the pathway that's best described by the color. How many, who, who what, what, what do you think red means? Yeah, it means you're not doing it all ever. Yellow means it's present some, but not as much as it should be. I, I went to church on Mother's Day, but it's November. I haven't been back. You're right. That's a yellow. You're you tracking with me for gathering. Then you've got green, Green says, "Hey, these are a regular part of my life. It doesn't mean that it's in your everyday, but it means that it's a regular part of your routine, the rhythm of your life from week to week." This. Thing is recurring. I think that's what Paul means when, when, he, taught, when, when he says to, 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 to pray continuously. I don't think he means that we're supposed to pray nonstop. I think what he's teaching us is, hey, that prayer should be something that keeps coming back into our lives, not just prayer, but all of the spiritual disciplines, all of the pathways. And then once you do that, and if you never have, you should, you might be surprised at what you find. You might be surprised that which ones are missing, which ones are present. Maybe some used to be present, but they're not anymore. And then you create some sense of connection to you and this work of caring for your soul. I hope that if you've never done that, that you'll take that piece of paper that you're going to have somebody you can share it with. If you're married, sit down and do it together. With your spouse, if you've got a family and kids are old enough to understand this, sit down, everybody do it together and talk about it. It, it creates an opportunity for you to begin to have a conversation that is vulnerable and transparent about where you are in your spiritual life. If, if these pathways, this is, this is what I have found, if these pathways are not present in your life, the character of Christ is usually lacking in your life as well. You with me? If you don't tend to the garden, what's supposed to grow there isn't going to grow, and the things that aren't supposed to grow will grow more easily. If you've ever had a garden, if you don't tend to it, the weeds tend to grow a lot easier than they should. We don't do anything with our yard, nothing. My philosophy is if grass can grow in this parking lot, right? It can grow in my, in my yard. We're going to cut it. We're, 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 we're going to trim it. Can, can I just tell you the same thing is true for your heart? The, the, things are going to grow there that aren't that you would prefer not be there if you're not attentive to it. Red, yellow, and green. Pathways lead to virtues which produce godly deeds. Pathways lead to virtues which lead to godly deeds. And you and I, according to Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and all the rest of the New Testament says that we're going to stand before God one day and we're going to have a conversation about the life that we lived. So tonight and then next week, we're going to work through what we call the pathway principles. There are 12 pathways and there are 12 principles that govern the pathways. God willing, we're going to do six tonight and then we'll do six next week. Principle of concurrence. Somebody say concurrence. The principle of concurrence. The verses are going to be up there on the screen. If you're a note taker, also the notes are online every week that we're working off of. You can always download. The principle of concurrence. Concurrence means that that, that things are happening at the same time, even though they're not the same thing. Things are happening at the same time even though they're not the same thing. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians 4. Now that's talking about spiritual gifts, but the underlying principle of 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 is the principle of concurrence, meaning that you need all of those spiritual gifts that it's talking about in those two texts present for a church to be healthy and vibrant. We're not supposed to just say, if we've got these two, we don't need the rest. No, we need all of them operating together. The same is true for pathways, the principle of concurrence. We need all of them operating together in our lives. They are not preferential, but all essential. Our personalities and callings might make us more predisposed to some rather than others, but we need all of them active in our lives. So so let's say that I posted on social media and said, that I wanted to get in shape, and, 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 that, and, and that, that I needed your help to t- list for me the things that I should do in order to be physically healthy. What would be some things that, that you would post? Raise your hand. Yes. Go to the gym. Yes. Yeah, somebody else. Cam. Get some sleep. Yes. Yeah, somebody else. Th- drink water. What was that? Eat my veggies, yes, somebody else. You guys, this is a good list. I hope somebody's writing this down for me. Somebody else, anybody here in the middle? No? Did did Robbie get a new neck pillow? Yeah, I like it, it's looking good. Somebody else, somebody over here. Go to the chiropractor, especially this chiropractor, yes. I was there on Friday. Alvin? Say that again. Oh, make a practical plan. That's good. Setting some goals. Anybody else? A reasonable amount of sleeve. Amount of sleeve. Anybody else? Stop eating processed. Process. No Krispy Kreme donuts, right? When the hot sun's on, i got to keep driving. Yeah, no processed foods, and then you said make a meal plan. Yeah, meal prep. Meal prep. Anybody else over here? Sheet days. Sheet days, yes. That's uh, so good, Darlene. Regular doctor visits, they did not, but that's an important part of it too, right? If, if we had the time, we would keep putting things on that list. And, and then if I said to you after that post and that list of, let's say there's 25 things, and my response is, okay, I'm going to do these two, and everything's going to work out. You would say, Fred, that's not how it works, you can't do two of the 25. Maybe you start with two of the 25. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But, but at some point, all of them need to be present in your life if you're going to be healthy. The same is true for our immaterial self. We can't just pick one or two pathways. We might start with one or two, but the principle of concurrence says they all need to be present. Somebody say concatenation. Principle of concatenation. We joke that that's a good Christian curse word right there. It's got some emphasis to it. What in the concatenation is going on around here? When I was growing up, my mom's was Jiminy Cricket. Anybody else have that? Maybe yours are like, I don't know what kind of household you grew up in, because when my parents were upset, they would say different things, right? So I didn't grow up in a cursing household. We grew up in a Christian cursing household. So concatenation is, is, is one of ours. This is the action of linking things together in a series. So this principle comes to us out of Genesis 1. What happened on day 2 needed day 1 to happen. And day 3 needed day 2, and day 4 needed day 3, and day 5 needed day 4. Are you with me? There's a lot that the story of creation gives to us. One is the principle of concatenation, meaning that certain things need to happen so certain things can follow. Genesis 1. You don't have to have all of these pathways to get started. You pick a few and you begin. It's the principle of concatenation. You've got to create some momentum in your life. You've got to pick some and then you've got to get moving. Perfectionism is one of the greatest thieves of progress because we say if we can't do it perfectly, we won't do anything. The biggest procrastinators also suffer suffer from, from perfectionism, if you didn't know that. Every life transformative journey that lasts is a step upon step. If these spiritual pathways are almost void in your life, I would give you three to start with. There is scripture, there is gathering, and there is service. That's, those, that's a great on-ramp for you into this life of spiritual disciplines. It's a good day one for you in your self-creative journey. of of spiritual formation because as you read the Bible, as you gather together with other people, and as you begin to serve, those three things begin to bring you into experientially with all the other pathways. And as you begin to experience those other pathways, there's something about you that is drawn to those pathways. And so I say to you, if you're not doing any, don't try to do all 12 next week. You're not going to make it. You're going to get discouraged and give up. You need an on-ramp. Scripture, service, gathering. Three, three things that you can do as an on-ramp in your life. Somebody say completeness. The Principle of completeness. This is James 1.17. It says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Let me read that part again. Every good thing given. And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting or shadow. That's out of the New American Standard. I, I love that rendering of it, this, this idea that there's no shifting in him. And that, that means a lot of things for us. But one of them it certainly means is that there will never come a time in human history where every good and perfect gift will not come from him. It was true 2,000 years ago, and James, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, hey, even if Jesus doesn't come back right for another 2,000, 10,000 years, it it will not change. Every good and perfect gift will always come from our Father in heaven, the principle of completeness. It's this idea that there is a, a longing in our heart for what's best. And James is there to remind us that what's best always comes from his hand. Let's let's compare this to to marriage just for a minute. Do you know why extramarital relationships are so sinful, aside from the pain of being betrayed for the innocent spouse? Listen to this. It's saying to God, what you created for me isn't enough. It, It says, I don't trust you. Idolatry is an extramarital affair spiritually saying to God, you aren't enough for me. Not that there aren't other experiences in this life that we find meaningful and enriching and enjoyable. We're not saying that. But the question we need to ask is, are are we going to those things because we haven't first fully embraced a spiritual life? These must be our foundation. Building our homes needs a foundation. If you don't get that right... Everything else is hopeless. The same is true for our spiritual lives. These pathways, they form a foundation for us. And if we believe that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven, it, it means that we've bought into this idea, this belief, that when God puts these things in front of us, when he says, do these things, that we've got to see them as good gifts that come from a perfect Father, and that he's asking us to do them, not because he's a taskmaster, master, but because he has our best interest at heart. When we begin to see God for who He is as a perfect Father, then the things that He asks for us, we should be drawn to them and not drawn away from them. The principle of completeness. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. Somebody say connection. connection. The principle of connection. Psalm 119, 171 says, Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. This, this, this psalm here is, is teaching us about this idea that the pathways are connected to each other. See, the, the, the more you, what the psalmist is saying here, the, the more they worship, then the, the more they want to learn about what God expects of them, right? Because the more you worship, because acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy, the more you develop a sense of love in your heart for the Father. And then the more you develop a love in your heart for the Father, the more you want to please Him, the more you want to learn from Him, the more you trust in Him. So then the more hungry you become for Scripture. And can we agree that goes both ways? The more time we spend in this book, the more we realize how grand and glorious and great God is. And the more we begin to realize how great and grand and glorious God is, how many of you know the more we want to praise Him? You see how they build on each other? The more I worship, the more I want to study Scripture. The more I study Scripture, the more I want to praise Him. That is true for every pathway in connection to every 11. If we had time, we could connect, we could take each pathway individually, and that we would find that there is a connection between that pathway and all the rest. One of the things that I've discovered in life is that when people come to me and One of the things that they might often say is, is Fred, I found that my Bible reading has just gotten a little bit dry. If they say that, if you've ever experienced that, I don't talk to them about Bible reading. I begin to talk to them about all the other 11 pathways. If someone comes and they're struggling with one, I usually say, have you done the red, yellow, green test? And then they might say, no, or I haven't in a while. I'll have them do it, and then we sit down. What, What I find is that if any one of these pathways is lacking in your life to the point where it just lacks any meaning for you, my experience has been that there are a host of the other pathways that are missing, meaning that those other ones give life to each one. And and that if you're trying to live off of a diet of just a few, at some point, at some point, there's something inside of you that's hungering for the rest. And I think that's put in us by God to draw us to these other things. The principle of connection, service and relationship have a great partnership with each other. The the more you find yourself actively in service in a church, the more you find yourself relationally connected to people in the church. Because if you're sharing time and space and meaningful activity with people, relationships are formed. People that tend to find themselves feeling emotionally and relationally disconnected from the church, I find are often people that don't serve in the church, right? You see how those things are connected. And then the more I serve and the deeper those relationships go, guess what? The more excited I am about serving because I want to serve these people that I now know and love. Right, All of the pathways have this beautiful connection with each other. Fasting and prayer is a partnership. Again, I'm picking some that are the most popular and the most familiar to connect you with this idea that it's true for all of them. So many times in Scripture, fasting and prayer is mentioned by Jesus and also Paul in his writings almost in the same breath. The, the more you fast, we joked about that last week, right? About what why people resist fasting, but, but you give yourself to this moment where you experience hunger. It, it, it helps you focus on other longings that are present in your life that maybe you haven't noticed. You, you set aside food and let your body feel hunger. It sensitizes you to other hungers, especially spiritual hungers. And especially it sensitizes you to this experience of prayer. And then the more I pray, the more I want to stir up those other appetites and the more I fast. You see, the principle of connection is there for all 12 of the pathways. The principle of comprehension. Somebody say comprehension. Somebody say hot dogs. Hot dogs. I know, see. I know what you're thinking about. you like them undercooked or a little charred? All the undercookers, raise your hand. I want my hot dog a little undercooked. Raise your hand. I, and I'm raising my hand with this one. If you like a little char on it. And i know, see. Dom said he likes them a little burnt. I said, we don't say burnt, we say char, right? Because then it sounds a little better. Like a little, Like a little char. Like a little char. All right. Just a little commercial break for after church. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. The principle of comprehension. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is John chapter 3 where Jesus talks with Nicodemus. Now, it's not just one of my favorites, right? Because he lays out this, this, this clear path to what it means to be born into the family of God. But it, but it also gives us an important word in Christianity that many scholars, and I agree with them, is the birthplace of amen, which is what we use to end prayer. Because in Deuteronomy... We have one of the names that God gives himself, and he refers to himself as Amon El, which means that he is the faithful God. And so when Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, and, and, and if you're reading in the, in the King James, or, or maybe a, 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 a more literal translation, in the King James, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. If, if it's literal but a little bit more modern, it substitutes in truly, truly, I say to you. But but in Aramaic, what he was saying was aman, aman. And it was an alliteration for the Hebrew word aman because the in Aramaic, there wasn't a word that existed. And, and he was saying to Nicodemus, who is a religious leader, this is what he's saying, right? He's saying, hey, God is a faithful God. I am from him, and everything that I say you can say to it, Amon El, because it's true, because it comes from a faithful source. And so over time, that created a tradition that as Christians prayed, they would end with this phrase, Aman, because they were saying, God, we trust in you, we believe that you're true, and we believe that you are faithful. And so even still today, we say amen in Jesus' name. But Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about something else that's important. He was talking to him about truth, but in that conversation, he begins to talk to him about how the human heart recognizes truth that sometimes the human mind is not ready to comprehend. He he makes that statement to him about the wind blows wherever it, it wills, and, and, and because there wasn't really any meteorological science back then, he was saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you can't explain the wind. You can't explain how it works. We hoist a sail. It takes us places. We, we travel. We, we, we feel the truth of it because we've experienced it, but our minds have not yet caught up to it. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, there's going to be times in your life where maybe you don't fully understand it or you can't yet quite explain it, but in your heart you feel the truth of it. Don't be afraid to follow your heart. It's a beautiful conversation that he has with Nicodemus. And it's an important part of what we believe about Pathways. Because you might say, Fred, this, is, this series is a lot. This is, there's a lot of information that we're, we're, we're talking about. It's, it's a lot to digest. And I would say, yes, it is. It's going to take time if it's all new for you. But, but my challenge to you is the same challenge that Jesus gave to Nicodemus. That you don't, don't let your head get in the way of your heart. If if it feels true, then then yes, let your mind go on a journey of curiosity and learning and understanding. We're not say set it aside, but but we've we're all this product right of this this age of reason and this idea of the scientific method. We've we've lost the ability to trust the intuitiveness of the heart to sense what is true, the principle of comprehension. And my last one is this: the principle of conviction. Somebody say conviction. We often only think of this word in the negative, but it has a powerful counterpart as well that is positive, meaning that the more that I do them, the more that I do these pathways in connection with all the rest of them, the more hungry I'm going to become for them. You literally begin to crave spiritual vibrancy in your life, in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus is blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That word hunger means to crave. It means to seek with an eager desire. That word thirst means to long for eagerly. Jesus is saying something inside of us is yearning and longing for good things. Something inside of us is also yearning and longing for things that aren't so good. You've got to decide what appetite you're going to feed. And the more you feed, which one is the hungrier that it gets? Let me say that again. The the more you feed, which one you pick, the hungrier it gets. We want to be a church that encourages you to feed the appetite inside of you for the character of Christ. And in doing so, a desire for pathways will come and good deeds will follow. I'm going to invite the keys to come up. Let's put that last slide up with that verse. Let's look at it again. This is important to us. And Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross. A lot of of what we're talking about in this series, right? It it means that we're going to have to lay some stuff down if we're going to be able to pick some stuff up. And then Jesus says, and follow me, which is part of his way of saying, hey, I'm, do- I'm doing it too. He's saying, will you do it with me? And if you try to hang on to your life, right, doing it your own way, you're, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels In the glory of his Father, and will judge all people according to their deeds. Good, godly deeds that flow from good, godly people. That's what this series is about. Let's change gears for a minute here. We're doing this every weekend in our our service. We call it our Welcome Home Moment. Not because we want to welcome you to this church, but because we want you to be welcomed into the family of God. Because if, 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 if what you believe about Jesus isn't yet settled then this whole sermon series is is step two for you, right? Step one is what do I believe about Jesus and do I understand what he did for me? Because we believe that every person, no matter who we are, no matter how old, how young, no matter what our personality is or what generation we're from, we all share the same deep desire, the same deep need, and that's to know God and to be known by him. All of us are born into this world with that desire inside of us, and it's always there calling out to us for attention. But we also believe this not only do we share the same need, but we share the same dilemma. Because you and I were born into this world separated from God. And even if we've been living the best life that we can, the best life that we know, we've made mistakes, we have regrets. And and, and the Bible calls those regrets sin, and and that sin, it keeps us separated from God, right? So here, we we have this heart that wants to know God and to be known by Him, but yet we're born into this world separated from Him, and then by the life that we live, we keep ourselves separated from Him. And then one day, when this life comes to an end, we're going to have to stand before Him and give an account for our lives. And it breaks our heart to think that there will be people that, for them, that will be the first time that they ever have a sense of knowing God and being known by Him. And we want to change that because the consequences are high. The stakes are high because the Bible teaches us that the smallest of sin is worthy of eternal death. But then that's where Jesus steps in and he says, I have good news or what we call the gospel. Second Corinthians 517 says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus says, I, I've come to change you on the inside. And then he says, all those regrets that you have, hey, I've taken care of that. That when I died on the cross 2,000 years ago, I paid the penalty that you deserve for every mistake that you've ever made. And on this journey of being a part of the family of God, he's saying to us, you're gonna keep making mistakes, but then he says this, that's incredible, right? He says, that's okay, because the death that I died wasn't just for the mistakes that you have made, it's going to cover every mistake that you're ever going to make. So that one day, when we stand before God and have to give an account for our lives, we don't have to be in fear of condemnation, but we can step into that moment with a humble confidence that there will be an invitation extended to us into eternal life if we've been born into the family of God through a vow devotion to Jesus. We're telling that story every week this year as a part of our service. Because we want people to hear the story of the gospel. And in hearing, they might believe. And in believing, they might make their own vow of devotion to him. So stand with me as we pray. If you're part of our online community, as you look back over the story of your life, if you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, you can do that right now. There's a button that you can push that will take you into a private chat room with one of our hosts. And then if you're here in this room, I'm going to be over here. I believe Chuck and Penny are going to be down here. If if you're in this room and you look back over the story of your life and you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, then you come and, and we'd love to talk with you more about that. you've got to decide, right? Shifting back to our message in this series. What appetite are you going to feed? What appetite are you going to feed? Father, I pray that for each of us here, maybe even just thinking about those 12 pathways that we saw and maybe even those... 24 virtues. Maybe there's some people in this room or some people that are watching online and they would say, Fred, far too many of those are missing from me. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, even now, would just begin to whisper to them that you're going to give them some on-ramps. Whether they're the ones I suggested about scripture and gathering or service, or maybe you're going to give them something else that's better suited for them, but help them find the on-ramp to this journey and to this life that they're going to feed the right appetites, building in them the virtues that produce every good and godly deed that you have assigned to us in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody sit together.